It's time to go into business for yourself. Get ready for another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. Education, insight, and inspiration. Here's your host, small business and franchise expert, Tom Scarda. Alrighty, and welcome to another episode of the Franchise Academy. I have a special guest and an old friend with me today. And we're going to talk about the insides of franchising. A lot of things that people don't think about or even know about for that matter. So an old friend of mine, Joe Matthews, is the CEO and founder of the Franchise Performance Group. He also has written my favorite franchise book, which is the (laughs) Smart Franchising. I recommend it to every single candidate that I work with, I have to tell you. I appreciate it. And, and it's a, a thoughtful gift for all occasions. Remember, the uh, holidays are coming up. Well, there you go. If anything and everything you ever wanted to know about franchising. and, and the We got the part, uh, shameless book plug out of the way. We can get into the real conversation. Yeah, yeah no, I love it. it and and it's, it's interesting because chapter two, I actually have a, what do you call it? A, a PDF? Yeah. I send it to every candidate. And I have to tell you, it has saved many people's lives. Because it's really? talking about all the reasons why they w- wouldn't buy, buy a franchise. And they're like, oh my God, I'm thinking exactly that. And I was going to tell you tomorrow that I'm out, but now I'm oh, in. That's interesting. You know, it's a, a, that, that chapter two where you talk about the internal dialogue and all the reasons people make up to tell themselves that they can't do it. You get in their own way. I have to tell you, in 35 years of franchising, writing that chapter was the probably the most fun I've ever had because I, all I did is I pictured – there was a, a candidate there, right? Somebody who could make it, somebody who has the capital, background, skills, right? But just had never been an entrepreneur. And you know that wreaks havoc in the mind, right? Yeah, so um, I said, if I'm having a conversation with that person and I'm holding nothing back, right? Because why would I? Because I'm not making it, you know, like they're not my, my clients are the franchisors. So I gave myself liberty to say anything, everything, exactly the way I wanted to. And being a street kid, from the Northeast, right? It's just in street language. And oh my gosh, I, I, I literally was sitting on my laptop laughing my head off uh, writing that chapter. So I'm, I'm tickled that, uh, that you still use it. I mean, that was 2006 when we wrote that. Really? Is it that long? Wow. Yeah, 2006. So I just got into Franchise in 2000. And, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, 2005, I got into Franchise and I had just purchased a franchise in, in 2000, sold it. And I did that through Franchise, went back to Franchise, and now I'm a consultant there almost 15 years. Wow. And the first time we met, and I know you don't remember this, but I was on a panel at Franchise. You were working, developing a big franchise company, or they were about to be big. You made them big. And you were in the audience, and you asked a question. And I don't remember the exact question, but it was surrounding, you know, how you treat a candidate when they first come to you and that kind of thing. But it was one of the, it was the most insightful question I've ever gotten. And I was like, who is this guy? Because usually people in the audience and they ask, you know, the same old questions, but you had such a great question. I was like, wow, that's great. And so I picked up the book and, and so it's, it's just been on my desk since I guess 2006 <laughs> at least. Oh, wow. So I appreciate what you've done. Well, how did you get into franchising? How did that all start? Yeah, so my, my, um, I was an art major in college. And I, how it all started is I drew a picture. I looked at it. I said, oh, my gosh, nobody's ever going to hire me as an artist. Uh, so I did the hurry-up offense in my senior year and got, got out with a marketing degree, but no real experience. 
And I was reading back, and back then we had newspapers in 85, right? So I was reading in the uh, local newspaper, the New Haven Register, about this uh, local sandwich chain that, uh, that opened up in Connecticut. It was getting a little bit of traction. And the you know, CEO was uh, talking a big game. We're going to be bigger than McDonald's. We're going to be bigger than McDonald's. And they had about 375 units at the time. So I went down there with a resume. I said, uh, do you need any marketing help? And they said, uh, sure. Uh, do you know anything about franchising? No. Do you know what a franchise is? No. Well, it was a distribution model for uh, products and services. That was your training program. You want to start tomorrow? I said, sure. So I went down there, and it turned out to be Subway, right? So um, I heard so of them. Subway at you know, 400 units, and I was there at their 20th anniversary. Well, I knew Fred DeLuca when he was only a millionaire. Okay, that's how far back I go. Wow. Uh, he was my first boss, and um, it took Subway 20 years to get to 400 units. In the next three years, we took it to 3,000 and put them on a clip. A uh, 30-year run of opening 1,000 units a year all over the world. Yeah. And what kept me in franchising was, it, I, I was some conversations I had with candidates. I was talking to, you know, I was recruiting franchisees. I was their second or third guy in their franchise development department. You know, so it was a tiny little company. I was their 40th employee. In, the, in their corporate, corporate office. Wow. Yeah, so, you know, I'd be talking to candidates um, about franchising. And again, I'm green. I don't know anything. You know, first, second, third week on the job. And I keep hearing them pour out their hearts and their souls. And because be, most of these guys were first-time business owners and a lot of immigrant money, right? So, you know, they're trying to get out of their country. They're trying to do things for their family. They're trying to get established in the community. They've got the career ladder hanging against the wrong wall. You know, all the stuff that we hear Right. And I got 30 days into the job that people don't really want to franchise. They want their prayers answered. And, wow. and I loved, I, I mean, I said, as a marketer's dream, I remember thinking to myself, I'll never forget this. I, I thought to myself, where is a marketer? Am I ever going to get, okay, marketing somebody's dream back to them as a reality hmm. if we did businesses together, right? So, so that, then that was, the, yeah, so and I said, oh, this is all I'm ever going to do. This is so and, Yeah, so fast forward 35 years, it's, this is all I've ever done. Yeah. Wow. What complete a, what a one great... trick pony. <laughs> yeah, but what a great start. I mean, uh, Fred DeLuca, he is, uh, you know, God rest his soul, he is a, um, just an icon. I mean, there's no one. Uh, he's, he's, I'll tell you, there's 4,000 franchise brands active. If there was no Subway, I bet we'd only have about 1,000 franchise brands active. Because nobody really, like, when, when I got into Subway, that was the time McDonald's was ramping, right? Pizza Hut was ramping. Dunkin' Donuts was ramping. Yeah, people didn't really relate to those brands, like the everyman. But the everyman entrepreneur related to Subway. It was like the poor man's McDonald's, right? right. And then uh, and the way Subway rolled out, you know, Fred DeLuca's a blue-collar street kid. And the way they rolled out, everybody could relate to Fred DeLuca. Everybody could relate to the story. Everybody could relate to the brand. And, you know, that and – that, fueled a lot of entrepreneurship in a lot of companies to, to take the franchising route. I, Fred DeLuca never gets credit for that, but I would say singularly have done more for franchising than any other human being alive. Wow. Yeah. Well, who's not alive, but anymore, I should say any human being, including uh, Ray Kroc, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I actually never really sat and had a conversation with him, but I met him, you know, through the international franchise, yeah, sure. that kind of stuff. And, and yeah, he, he would was, walk uh, around. No, you know, no escort, no entourage, no security guards. He just, just a long-haired hippie dude, kind of walking around, saying hi to people. Just awesome guy. Yeah, just awesome guy. 
Yeah, so I guess I, in a way, credit my career to him as well. Do you really? Right? In, in, in a certain way, that's absolutely true. Now, Franchise Performance Group is doing phenomenal things with franchises for, for a long time. But are you focusing really on emerging franchisors? Are you fixing? Uh, uh, no, we, uh, I mean, the only thing we really don't focus on is startup franchisors. Uh, so I, we, what we're known for is uh, taking companies from 25 to maybe 50 units and building, you know, 700, 800, 900,000 plus. So we've done that multiple, multiple, multiple times right. uh, since 2002 when I started the company. Yeah. Uh, we also work with a lot of private equity backed brands. Uh, we work on turnaround strategies and resurging brands like A&W, you know, Marco's Pizza, you know, we, um, you know, we intersected Marco's Pizza about 375 units when it was a resurging brand. They've been around 37 years, kind of stuck on 375. And that was about seven years ago. They're going to open their 1,000th unit this year. Awesome. Yeah, so, that, so we'll, we'll take franchisors along the way. We, just what we do and what we're known for is building uh, long-term, sustainable, profitable brands for all the stakeholders, which would, for, for me is, would include the franchisees first and foremost. Of course. Right. You know, so we would say the franchisor exists solely uh, to build value uh, and return on investment for the franchisee. Yeah. We would say the franchisee exists to just build value uh, to the customer. And when everybody's clear on their roles, there's a flywheel effect, right? Where the, just the brand goes seemingly under its own momentum, right? It's hard to create the flywheel, but once it's created, you know, the magic happens. Right, right. And anybody's ever been with a, uh, a high-flying brand that's been there when the flywheel effect kicked in, it's really juicy and interesting. It's, it's really interesting, very spicy. But what do, you, what do you feel that these companies get stuck? I mean, what's the biggest problem? You, you know, you're thinking, like, if they get to 200 units, they're on their way, but they're obviously some of them are not. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there, there's a lot of misinformation about franchising. I would say FPG exists to kind of clean up a lot of the misinformation. Mm-hmm. like sell as fast as you can. Whoever sells the most wins. It's not, not all franchising. Like um, is not every franchisee is created equal, right? So we have an illusion that we think every royalty dollar has the same margin attached to it. Right. So if you, if a franchisor has more than 20% of the franchisees struggling, that's a turnaround brand. Right. And you don't turn it around the brand tubes and the tubes for the winners, there were tubes for the guys on their way up and the tubes for the losers. Yeah, uh, it just, and it may not go out of business, okay, but but it just lingers in obscurity, <laughs> right? So so we would say franchising uh, is a two metric business. It's simple. Yeah. It's not easy. It is simple. So the the two metrics would be franchisee unit level economics. So if the if the franchisee gets a good return, okay, magic happens, right? It's got it's like any investment product, right? It's got to be. It's got to be predictable, it, and it's got to be sustainable for the long haul, right? And without a wide fluctuations of results. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second thing is franchisee franchisor relationships, right? It's a very unique animal. So we would define franchising as building a brand by recruiting, training, developing, resourcing, and leading a team of entrepreneurs. Right. So a lot of franchisors, they may, while they may be skilled, okay, on the consumer facing model, 
they're unskilled and don't achieve a mastery level understanding of the business of franchising. So we would say there are two businesses, right? The consumer facing model. Okay. And the business of franchising, which I just defined. Right. Right. So, so either they're the um, unilevel economics are not consistently good for their constituency, the franchisees, or they create a toxic culture for the franchisees. So a lot of franchisors um, start out in the chain model, right? You know, with, with the, you know, the, here's the pyramid and you got the CEO at the top and things matriculate down. You know, there's not a one, I mean, I've been recruiting thousands of franchisees for 35 years. Not one of them ever told me, you know, I want to get into business. I want to be in the bottom of the pyramid. Right. Right. <laughs> I want power and information to flow down to me. Right. Yeah, right. I don't want anything pushing up. Like, I don't want, I don't want my ideas heard. I don't, I don't want any say, I don't want any control. So it's, so that, that command and control structure really, really um, tanks the franchisee franchisor relationship. And it's amazing how fast uh, brands go to command and control or compliance uh, mm-hmm. type cultures and then just really kill the golden goose. Yeah. So if I was going to tell you a you know, culture model to, to study, it would be kind of the servant leadership model, uh, which kind of came out, I, I guess that would be the late 60s, Robert Greenleaf uh, in Indiana, uh, kind of was, was the guy that pioneered it, pushed it to a particular level. And then Ken Blanchard yeah. uh, from One Minute Manager re- resurrected that model. And, uh, and, and then also uh, Rick Warren from Purpose Driven Life. So yeah. Blanchard and, and Rick Warren got together and put together this kind of servant leadership model, Lead Like Jesus, I think is the name of the company. But they're trying to prop up uh, servant leadership and, uh, and entrepreneurship as a, as a management style. Yeah. And that, that works out really well. So I would say, to, I would tell franchisors, study uh, servant leadership or empowered leadership as a model because that's what works in franchise. Well, I think a big problem is, you know, like, Michael Gerber talks about an e-myth just, you know, with people starting up a business and they're just a technician. Same thing with the franchise, you know, the franchisor, the president, the founder only has a certain level of knowledge on how to run the business yeah. and doesn't realize that it is a second business now. And if he was making cupcakes, it has nothing to do with cupcakes anymore. It you know, it's funny you bring up Gerber. Like, I got a chance to meet him a couple of times. I think there's the myth of the e-myth, right? right. I, you know, look, I spend... 15 years as a technician in my own business. And you know, my answer is, so what? I love the work and I did great. You know, and, and, you know, and then you're a technician in your own business being a sole proprietor. There's nothing wrong with that. And they're, they're kind of, um, I think he did, I, I'll tell you that, that, I think that book did a disservice uh, to a lot of solo entrepreneurs that want to get into business, but don't want to manage employees, right? Right. Right. So I, I think he did a gigantic disservice to those people and now they're doing side hustle businesses like doing uber you know whatever right so yeah yeah so i'm not a big fan of the e-myth. i mean i get it as a philosophy but he puts it out there as the truth well yeah and for someone who wants to grow and scale then there's some truth to it but like you said if you're just an you know a solopreneur maybe you have three employees it's fine i'll tell you gerber would have a fit with me because yeah i I scale my business to a particular point. We have nine full-time employees and we, you know, we run at 90%, 95%. I always leave room for one more interesting project, you know? Yeah. And you know what? I mean, it's, and we like that, you know, it works for everybody and it's an enjoyable place to work. And we have, we have great clients and a great work-life balance and, you know, we work on interesting projects and, 
why not? <laughs> you know, if, I, if I'm an entrepreneur, why do I want the business to own me? And there's right. a point in time where you scale, 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 and it's like the Peter principle, right? It's at an organizational level. You hit your lid. Right. Right? So you're not good at it anymore. So what's the favorite project that you have worked on, in, you know, in the recent years? Oh, yeah. That's a good question. So we're, we're working on right now with um, Rebath. I like that brand. They've got proprietary products and a really nice system. So uh, they do bathroom remodeling, but they do, their average job is three days. Yes. So all they do is pull and replace, pull and replace, right? So, that, so the, the mischief comes when you go into somebody's home and you start ripping stuff down and moving walls around and plumbing and wiring, you know, you get these change orders and then, you know, you're in there four or five weeks. Right. And uh, we recently recruited a franchisee for Rebath across the, I mean, this guy was already in the business doing $6 million a year in sales. Wow. So he crossed over his business, started paying royalty dollars, $320,000 or something like that in royalties uh, from day one. And I was like, why would you do that? I mean, just out of curiosity, that, that makes no sense to me as an entrepreneur. And he said, it's a better model. Huh. He, said, he, he said, he goes, I do custom remodeling and we're in there four to six weeks. He said, you know what house guests, contractors, and fish all have in common? We all stink after five days. Yeah. That's so funny. My <laughs> so Rebath has put together this brilliant system with these great products and proprietary products where they just get in and out in five days. They do a good job. They control the entire customer experience end to end. They don't use subs. And it works great. And they're up by 8 to 10% a year for the last uh, three years in an industry that's up about five. Yeah. So, yeah, so they're, they're in a high-flying industry, and then they're a high-flying brand. So that's a really cool brand to work on. Yeah, that is very interesting. And I've had Rebeths do my, uh, my shower area in uh, my second bathroom. So. There you go. Yeah, yeah, there you go. We are also part of the resurgence of A&W, yeah. uh, the hamburger stands. Got them out here on Long Island, yep. So, yeah, so they, um, they, you know, they just had their 100th anniversary. 100? I didn't realize yeah. that. I mean, so we're talking about A&W. This is what I love about franchising. We're talking about A&W right now, right? With every bit as relevancy as people were talking about it 100 years ago. That's so funny. And the cool thing about A&W, did you know the franchisees own the company? No, no. How does that work? So literally, literally the CEO works for the franchisees. So if you're a franchisee in A&W, you're a shareholder in the brand. That's incredible. So, so it's like, you know how we talk about like, oh, you know, franchisees are our partners. And, you know, like franchisors make those overtures, right? And then they put franchisees on committees that are advisory only, have no decision making, right? <laughs> like, right? So they don't like what the franchisees have to say. Oh, they're not strategic advisors anymore. Shut up, <laughs> right? We're gonna do our thing. <laughs> what I like about A&W is if we really believe, if we really honestly believe the entrepreneur gives us a competitive advantage in the marketplace and they're an asset, okay, then they deserve a seat at the table. Now, what I like about A&W is that the franchisees have a seat at the table. Now, and they're in an industry that's flat. Same sales are flat. They, they've been up about 20 or 30% on about a six-year run. Wow. Hamburgers, right? I've heard of, yeah. It's just hamburgers. Hamburgers, and the other thing I like about A&W is 
you know, they brew their own root beer every morning. I, I didn't know that either. Everybody should know that. If, it's, if you ever have your root beer, it's not like what you buy in, in the store. It is crack. And then you throw the uh, vanilla on top of that, you get this like old fashioned root beer float. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you, you I know what I'm going for lunch. Oh, today. yeah. I mean, root beer floats. If, all you'd have to do, if, if, if you took AW root beer floats, okay, and you went to war and you gave everybody a root beer float on the front lines on both sides, you'd have peace. <laughs> how do you, you can't eat ice cream, drink rubber, and shoot somebody at the same time. It's a total disconnect. So they actually have the secret to world peace, in my opinion, at least a short period of time. Wow, that's amazing stuff. Where, where are they based, just out of curiosity? In Lexington, Kentucky. Lexington, Kentucky. All right, yeah. good. Wow, that's amazing, Joe. Good yeah, stuff. and then if you live in Lexington, you got to remember that uh, betting horses is not a capitalization strategy for the company. Right. <laughs> Very, very funny. So I don't know, was Fred DeLuca your inspiration or is there other people that you also look to within franchising and actually outside the uh, industry as well? You know, I, we see inspiration. I'm going to, can I rephrase it a little bit? Like who are my major influences? Yeah, you could rephrase so, it. So I, I, was stuck. I was stuck in a field, almost 40 years old. I was a field-based uh, franchisee recruiter, uh, never worked in the corporate office much after Subway. Mm. Kind of really mired, stuck in middle management and, um, and never got an opportunity to kind of punch up you know, to the executive ranks. And I, and I ended up working for this gentleman named Paul Pichel, mm-hmm. a really insightful leader. He was uh, 20 years a parish priest. And then he, the, uh, then he got into, he, you know, got released for his vows, got married, had a family, and then became a, a franchise executive. Very, very best media, uh, mediator, best manager of a meeting, right? Facilitator I've ever seen. Unbelievable franchisee, franchise or relationships. He kind of took me under his wing, and he asked me this question. It was a pivot point. He said, so I, I forgot what he was asking me. He goes, but what's your gut tell you? Uh-huh. So I told him, well, I said, I, I think this is what we need to do. Boom, 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 boom. He goes, you know, that's not what I asked you. I said, oh, I'm sorry then. What did you ask me? He goes, I asked you, what does your gut tell you? I said, oh, well, my gut tells me to do, not to do that. My gut tells me to do this, 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 and this. So he said, so what do you do when the, your head conflicts with your gut? Mm-hmm. And, he, and I said, I always go with my head. He said, how's it work out? I said, never. It blows up. It's, it's, a, it's a train wreck every single time. He said, so how do you do it? Uh. And I said, I don't know. Nobody ever asked me that question. <laughs> and it was like, he goes, he, and then he looked me dead in the eye and he said, you've got good instincts, kid. You don't use them. So I, I, so I started playing with that idea. You know, I said, I said let me see if I'm going to test my instincts. I started, I started managing myself and my project by instinct. And then I made the decision when the, my, when the information, even the data conflicts with my gut, I'm going with my gut. Right. And it yeah. just, happened to be right more than 90% of the time. And it was funny is if you're right, you can always, you, you create the data, right? Cause that's a, that's a lag indicator. Most of the time it's not a lead indicator, right? That's it. Yeah. Right. So yeah. And now, and then yeah, my career took off from there and got into the executive ranks and then, you know, started this company and just I've been a gut based decision maker going off of instincts and, and what works in other industries and trying to migrate these things into franchising yeah. and, right more than I'm wrong. And, and yeah, that's been real helpful. 
Yeah, it, um, amazing. And it goes right back to the path of the 99% in the book, in that second chapter. In my opinion, it's that I always share with folks, your brain and your head is as old as man on earth, whatever that is, four and a half million yeah. years old. But the brain in your gut is as old as God. It's infinity. And that's why they say, listen to your gut, because it's God talking to you. And, and, and when you are in that area of, you know, should I buy the franchise? Should I not buy the franchise? It's all your head telling you not to, even though in your gut, you know, you should because. Yeah, it's interesting too, because uh, spirit, uh, spirit, uh, we run a faith-based business. So Christianity is embedded from as a value system in FPG. And you know, I'll tell you, if that little voice, I'm going to talk to the little quiet voice. Because in my opinion, God speaks in that little quiet voice, and that's the first voice. Then the second loud one, the, the, that's you or forces that don't want you to hear or follow mm. the, the soft, quiet one, right? But the soft, quiet voice is, that's the one. Yeah, so that's, you, the, that's the one you follow, yeah. I don't know if you ever heard of the book, The War of Art. Not The Art of War, but The War of Art no, no. by Stephen Pressfield. No, I don't know that book. Who wrote um, Madison? Uh, the the golf uh, story blanking out at the moment, but it's it's a great book, and and it's it's like a short read. You could sit it. It's one plane ride. You could read this book. I highly recommend it. Got it. And he talks about uh, resistance. He calls it resistance, and you could call it the devil. You could call it, you know, your your brain, or you know, whatever. It, it changed my life, that book. And it's, it's a short read. I'm telling you, it's a plane ride. Highly recommend it. Stephen Pressfield, he actually endorsed my, my Franchise Savvy book. Great oh, guy, great inspiration to me. So what, what is a myth about franchising? This is probably like a whole episode we could do another day. But what's one myth that you would like to bust about franchising? Oh, gosh. You know, this is where Gerber got it right. Just because you're passionate about a particular product and service doesn't mean you have the correct capitalization, transferable skills, necessary background, uh, or you're aligned with what it takes to be in that particular business mm. you know, of that product or service, right? So the other myth I think I would love to break, it's funny, people who are corporate executives, like, and you must see this too, right? Like, you can't go to a cocktail party and say you're in franchising without somebody, what's hot? You're right. Like that has got to, what, what's hot got to do with anything? Yep. Right? So when people tell me what's hot, I'd say, well, what's the hot career? Right? <laughs> Want to be a CPA? No. Like why? Well, I'm not wired for that. Bingo. So, so, right, so, so people, when they pursue their traditional career path, okay, they, they look at, like, what am I good at? Where are my successes? Right? What do I want to achieve? What are the demands of the role I'm about to get into? Right. And what does it take to win? Okay, because they're not looking for the job to make them successful, right? Exactly. Second, they look at business. It's like oh, that goes away. And and what's the business that's going to make me successful? Oh, I like this business. It's hot. They've got cars in the parking lot. My answer is so what? You're right. Right. Because you know, if if you get aligned with a business that doesn't play into your strengths, okay, and okay, um, brings your weaknesses forward. Okay, you are in for a tough time, and you're not going to enjoy it. Yep. And there, I and I don't care what the business is. When people are using and uh, employing their highest, best use of their talents in a direction that they consider meaningful work, 
uh, and they're achieving what they set out to achieve originally, okay, it, it, life, career, family, everything starts aligning and they, and they just have a great life. Right. So I, w- I would encourage people, stop looking at the business as the holy grail. Uh, I would say franchising is an inside-out job, just like the career, as opposed to an outside-in job, uh, which I think they think it is going in, at least the first-time entrepreneurs. Well, what do you mean by that, inside-out? Well, they look for the business to make them successful. Oh, right. Okay. Right? As a, but they would never look at their job description to make them successful, right? They would say, no, I got to go to work every day and make it happen. Well, it's the same thing in business, except right. – they process it differently. They don't think it's the same thing, but it is. Yeah, something I learned from you years ago is that uh, exactly that. It's, it's not about, you know, I'm passionate about golf, so I should get into a, you know, Golfsmith franchise because you're going to hate it. And it's, you know. Potentially. About- I mean, you could love it, right? right. You, you would hate it if it means you're stuck behind a counter and you can't golf anymore. Right. Right? Then you'll hate it. Yeah. Exactly. So what do you wish that you knew now or knew back then that you know now? What, what have you learned? A big, one big uh, lesson. I didn't know I had potential until I was probably 35 to 40 years old. Okay. Yeah. So I was a real late bloomer uh, in my career and in, and in franchising. I, if I knew, and then from that point forward, probably invested as much as 10% of my income every year in professional development. Awesome. Yeah. So, I, so I probably would have taken on more mentors early on and probably been a less island to myself mm-hmm. uh, because I would have liked it because I feel like I could have maybe done more. Right? So, I, I, you know, so I, I, I feel like the industry now is lacking some vision. You know, so we, we, we would say franchising is entering its third era. So, um, and then I'm going to get back. I'm, I'm actually answering your question, but I'll get back to this. So franchising 1.0 was like Fred DeLuca, Ray Kroc, Rosenberg from Dunkin' Donuts. And they would say, my brand, my product, right? Well, yeah, my systems, my, 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 my. And then franchisees are, it's the sharecropper model, right? They get to use them and we, we get a cut, right? So we build our brand using other people's money. That was so oversimplistic. In our generation, we've gone back, yes, yeah, so, so I would say from 80s to about 2000 and now, <laughs> the, the present, you know, we ushered in franchising 2.0. We would say franchising is a business unto itself. And then we, we tried to create a career around mastering what we think it is because it's never been defined, right? right. There's no definition for even franchising. Yep. It's a $760 billion business with no definitions. Right. So, so, you know, the, the automotive aftermarket business is about 300 billion. You can get a PhD in any number of one, like the whole ecosystem is the, you have a university ecosystem. They've got a supplier ecosystem. They've got analysts. They've got you know, third party sites that an that a, a auto buyer can trust, transparent streams of information, you know, websites, all to prop up the, the, uh, the consumer car buying experience. Franchising has twice the sales of automotive aftermarket, and we have none of that. We have no real ecosystem. We've got no university system. We've got no even agreement on what franchising is or how it works, right? Wow. So, so, in my opinion, private equity is pouring in. These are smart guys, and they're, gonna, they're taking in disciplines from other industries like software and medical fields, and they're, and they're, prof- they're going to professionalize it, right? So, wow. companies like ours – which have, which have systems and have gone to work codifying the franchisor piece of the business model. And we talked about franchising's two businesses, the consumer facing and 
you know, the franchisor model. So we spent our careers and we go to work every day codifying franchisor model. Yep. So our systems work at least 80% every brand we work with, and we only have to modify about less than 20% of what we do to, for the nuances that are bringing. So private equity has been really latching onto companies like ours yep. right, to help their investments, uh, help their diligence, okay, work with the leadership of the brands that they own to professionalize franchising using our people, our fractional leaders, our intellectual property to grow the brands. Yeah. So that's what I think, that's where franchising is going. It's going to be perfecting the brand, professionalizing franchising, creating our own ecosystem to perpetuate best practices, which I would say, you know, we don't have. Right. Very well said. Very insightful. I never really thought about it that way. And I am a big supporter of all the uh, money that's coming in through private equity into these franchises because Ultimately, it is helping the franchisee because they have the best technology. You're able to hire the best leaders to run the company. Just been, it's a phenomenal place to be right now. Really, really, really excited about it. Um, yeah, FDG is working with, uh, we have two of our clients. Like I, I never got into franchising think I would ever be in PE. And I never got into franchising think I would ever be owning a digital agency. Right. Right. I mean, so, you know, you know as people do more self-directed research, I had to create a whole content team. Right. Websites, lead nurturing content, lead generation content. Like my business is pretty complex. Yeah. And then private equity is uh, now hiring us and partnering with us to, on, to co-invest in franchisors with them and then using FPG as the growth engine. That's our model. That's the FPG 3.0 model going forward. Uh, you know, we're going to be working more and more with private equity uh, to grow brands. That is, uh, that's awesome. And congratulations on that. That's a really big deal for you guys. I just wanted to go back to something else that you had said earlier is that as we're growing this into now the 3.0 brand, I guess, in franchising. And the thing that we have in common, you and I, and you don't know it now until I tell you, is that I, your daughter is working in uh, as a franchise recruiter. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Yep. And, and so is my son. Oh, all right. Yeah, my, my daughter's got a different last name now because she's married. She probably, uh, we'll probably have to edit this piece out or, or I'll tell her not to watch it. She wants <laughs> to stand on her own merits. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, yeah. And, but, but it's awesome. And that, yeah, um, it is awesome. You know, it's like a, there's a lot of people that are doing that now and, uh, you know, their kids are coming into the business. Where I don't know that happened too often years well, ago. Well, you know what's new, which is, that's an interesting point. This is a 3.0, franchise 3.0 thing. So did you go, you get into franchising on purpose or by accident? It was probably on accident. Everybody that's in a leadership position with a franchise, or I don't know anybody who designed a career in franchising, like maybe a one person. That's right. my age, right? We all got into it by accident, fell in love with entrepreneurship, saw what the brands could do, right? We just loved the, you know, the synergistic model, fell in love with the American entrepreneur, and we stayed in it. That's what we did? Yeah. Okay. My daughter has known about franchising since she was three years old, yeah. right? I used to take her to grand openings. You know, she, she just chooses a career path knowing what it is, yep. right? And, and that's what you're seeing now with, uh, with, we have a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of old time uh, executives and suppliers to the franchising industry that's, that the second generation, their second generation not coming into their businesses. They know exactly what it is. They know where, you know, where, the hair, where the hair is on the deals, right? And they were raised in it. And, um, and that's part, of, I think, the professionalism, right? These are going to, we're going to have the first generation of professional franchisor 
and supplier leaders, right? That just grew up in the business. Amazing. Good. Yeah. And, 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 and they're going to, and private equity is going to get them and, and the private equity is going to seek them out. Yeah. 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 I agree with that. And, and it's really, really a big deal in my opinion on so many levels. Uh, and, I, and I'm proud of it. Really proud. Yeah. of it. There's a lot of excitement around that, but I want to thank you for being on. This is uh, man, we, we should do like an episode, like, once a month or something, you got so much. Uh, yeah, I'll go, I'll be honest. Like I like talking about franchise. I, I, this is important information for, for your constituency. So yeah. I'm always available to you. Thank you know, I happen to live in the South, but uh, you know, the uh, Northern blue collar Italian thing, which is the neighborhood. If we say it, what <laughs> we mean it. Right. Right. So, yeah. So if we, uh, if, 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 you know, if you ever want to have me back on, I'm already a yes. Let's just schedule it. That's cool. I appreciate that, Joe. We will definitely see you at the next franchise convention somewhere in America in the next month or two, probably. All right. Thank you uh, to your listenership and your viewership. And if you need a trusted guide and advisor to help you in franchising, the host is the guy you should be reaching out to. Well, thank you very much. And all right, uh, have a great day. And Joe, thank you. And all your information will be on the franchiseacademy.com, all the contact information. So check that out. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being on, Joe. Have a great day. You too. God bless you. Bye-bye. Bye. This has been another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. For more info, go to our website, thefranchiseacademypodcast.com. Remember to subscribe to Tom Scarta's YouTube channel for educational videos on franchising, education, insight, and inspiration. 